Good morning. Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. This is a time of the year where we especially focus on thanks, but that should be every, an everyday event for us, Lord. You're such a glorious Lord that has shown your love to us so much. So Lord, as we gather here today, may your Holy Spirit is always welcome. And may, may we learn more today and come even closer to you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us worship our Lord. Tractors, plows, furnaces. 400 years ago, 1620, the ships came over on uh, Plymouth Rock. The grace of gratitude. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. The Pilgrim Fathers who landed at, Pilma, excuse me, at Plymouth in uh, America in 1620 knew nothing of the bountiful prosperity that so many of us enjoy today. During the first long winter, seven times as many graves were made for the dead as the homes that were built for the living. Seed imported from England failed to grow, and a ship that was to bring food and relief brought 35 more hungry mouths to feed, not an ounce of provision. They caught fish, hunted wildfowl, and deer. They had a little English meal and some Indian corn, yet their lives were marked by a spirit of constant thankfulness on one occasion, William Brewster, rising from a scanty Plymouth dinner of clams and water, gave thanks to God for the abundance of the sea and the treasures hidden in the sand. According to today's standards, they had little, but they possessed a sense of great gratitude. Gratitude is one of the greatest Christian graces that we have. Ingratitude, one of the most vicious sins. Ask God to open our eyes to all the blessings that he has bestowed on you and to give you a fresh spirit of gratitude, not just in the season of the year, but always. An ungrateful heart minimizes God's blessing and focuses on that what is provided. The grace of gratitude is when we no longer see what is lacking and instead, we are in awe of so much given. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul.
from Exodus, the 34th chapter this morning. For thus says the, says the Lord God, indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and the valleys and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture and their folds shall be on the high mountains of Israel. 
There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick, but I will destroy the fat and strong and feed them in judgment. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep. Because you have pushed with side and shoulder, butted all the weak ones with your horns, and scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Maybe we can say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a sh shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of, of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. They, then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, my cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and not help you? And then he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. We have a responsive reading. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Thanks to the Lord. For the Lord is good, steadfast loves forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have, we know all belongs to you. We know you have graciously blessed us. You know you call us to bless others, to share what you have shared with us, to share with others. So, Lord, the gifts that are given today, we ask that they are used to help others, to help those less fortunate. And, Lord, but may they be fortunate to know that the gift comes from you. Lord, and may they come to know you, Lord. And may we, be, may we help that happen. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I almost feel like I don't need to preach this morning. Uh, Bonnie's devotional pretty much summarized everything I'm going to say today. So um, you're, you're going to get it in stereo. <laughs> Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. 
we do thank you that uh, you are a great and mighty God. And uh, we do set our hearts this morning to glorify and magnify your precious and holy name. Um, we, we can think back of all the incredible things that you've done in our lives. Uh, I, I'm just full of thanksgiving, Lord, for all that you've done for me and my family. And, um, and I know it's just, it's just one story in the midst of many, many stories of your blessing in our lives. That everybody here could, could stand up here and go for days talking about the things that you've done for them. And so we set our course this morning. I pray that you'll speak to us from your word. We thank you that your word is life. We thank you that your word is inerrant. We thank you that your word uh, brings, brings joy and blessing to our lives. And I pray that you'll speak to each and every one of us in the very deep places of our heart. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about Thanksgiving, uh, joy and Thanksgiving. The text is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now last week we talked about um, getting peace within, peace with God, peace within, and then peace with each other. Um, and here are some keys to having peace within. Rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks. And so, uh, because it's Thanksgiving, I thought it would be good to, to kind of uh, make a little excursus here and, and a little eddy and talk about Thanksgiving this morning. And my thesis is that God's will is that we live lives of joyfulness, prayerfulness, and thanksgiving. That this isn't just about Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving Day, but that our lives would, um, would be that of giving thanks to God. But I'm thankful that we celebrate every year. And as far as I know, I, I think the United States is the only country in the world that takes a special day just to thank God. Anybody know of any other countries? I don't. I don't, I don't think there's another country at all that just takes a special day like Thanksgiving just for offering praise to God. I mean, that's, that's what it's for. So we'll talk more about that um, later. But the day before Thanksgiving is typically, maybe not this year, but typically the most frequent travel day in America. Um, even, even more so than around Christmas. Um, but I've got news for you. Thanksgiving is not for Black Friday. Okay, it's not, it's, that's, that's not the purpose of Thanksgiving Day. Uh, I know it comes as a shock. Uh, but it's a day for remembering what God has done. So I want to talk first about joy, that God has called us to joy. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, be joyful always. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord again, always. I will say it again, rejoice. Just so you didn't get it the first time. We're going to say it again. Rejoice. And Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, and so on. And Voskamp writes this, As long as thanks is possible, then joy is always possible. Joy is always possible. Whenever, meaning now. Wherever, meaning here. The holy grail of joy is not in some exotic location. You know, it's not that if we get to the Bahamas, we can be thankful, or some emotional mountain peak experience. 
but rather the joy wonder could be here, here in the messy, piercing ache of now. Joy may be, might be unbelievably possible. Isn't that a good, good phrase? In other words, we don't need to get away somewhere um, and, and you know, find some, some kind of mountain peak experience or, or get away to a, a desert island somewhere where nobody else is there in order to be joyful. We can be joyful right now in the midst of this messy world that we live in. And it's been messy, hasn't it? I mean, it, it's a messy world. And, um, but the thing is that joy and gladness is not only permitted, okay, as if, okay, well, it's all right if you're that way, but it's commanded. Joy is not, let me say that again, joy is not permitted, joy is commanded. We are commanded as believers to be joyful. And the reason that, for that is that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So we as Christians then, we have joy dwelling within us. Christ dwelling in our hearts, in our lives, and so therefore, joy is, you know, is, is close, is right there inside of us. It's not a matter of trying to conjure it up, it's a matter of releasing what God has done. I think the most joyful place on, in any, anywhere you go is a playground. Isn't that, isn't that true? I mean, you go and sit next to a playground, you know, find a nice seat somewhere, and... And you'll just hear this spontaneous, joyful celebration coming out of those kids. Um, I mean, we heard it with little Jonathan this morning. We're, you know, we're, we're praying and Jonathan is lifting up his praise to God. You know, in, his, in his own way, he's, he's, he's giving praise to God. And that's natural for children. What's sad is that oftentimes, as adults then, we think, Okay, you know, I'm, I'm an adult now. I don't, need, you know, I don't need to do that. I don't need to have joy. That was when I was a kid. And I believe that that's not, I, I don't believe that that's God. I believe that God wants us to be full of joy. In fact, it's commanded. Somehow it gets kicked out of us as we become adults. And God wants it to come back in full force. He wants us to be joyful. Now, we all want to live a joyful, fulfilling life. And here's the key to that taking place, being filled with the Spirit, worshiping, being thankful always for all things. Uh, we just did the responsive reading with uh, Psalm 100. And, uh, you know, that's just a, a sampling of all the times in the book of Psalms. I didn't look it up for this, uh, you know, for this talk this morning, but... Um, how many times we are commanded to give praise and thanksgiving and, and be filled with joy, uh, enter into his, you know, his, his, his uh, courts with praise and into his, or what is it, anyway, anyway, huh? Gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, that's what it is. So fellowship with the Lord is the most fulfilling thing on the face of this earth. All right? That's, that's, that's our thesis here, is that fellowship with the Lord, if, if we want to have joy, fellowship with Jesus is absolutely the thing that will fill us with joy. Because it talks about being filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. 
Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are, to, uh, we are filled with joy as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Believers who are filled with the Spirit delight to sing the praise of Christ. And we delight in giving thanksgiving to Him. This statement, the joyful celebration that is to characterize the lives of believers will come not from an excess of wine, but from their continual openness to the influence of the Holy Spirit. This spirit-filled living will manifest itself in their corporate worship as they address and as they worship and give praise to God. That's what God has promised to us. Now, you know, you, you see every now and then, I think the hardest thing to, to you know, acting role is trying to portray Jesus. And every now and then, you know, around this time of year, you'll see a new, uh, a, a new story of Jesus. Somebody trying to act like Jesus. <laughs> And I always, you know, I just kind of laugh because nobody can act like Jesus. I mean, it's, you know, Jesus was absolutely unique, and, and trying to portray that role is often very difficult. And you see one, you know, you see one uh, portrayal of Jesus, and he's very somber, and, you know, he's a, he's a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, and he goes around, and, you know, he kind of, uh, he kind of, strolls through life that way. And then you see another where he's more joyful and, you know, but I believe that Jesus was absolutely the most uh, joyful, uh, heartwarming, loving person to be around that's ever lived on the face of this earth. I I think those disciples were just absolutely um, excited about being with Jesus. Don't you? I mean, I really think it... I think if we had been with him, I think we'd just be, uh, uh, you know, just delighted. It's the only thing I can think. But joy is a matter of perspective, a matter of choice. Notice the common thread that runs through all three of the commands. Constancy, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. All of them talk about that it is meant to be a lifestyle, a choice a matter of perspective. He's talking, Paul is talking about a lifestyle of joyfulness, prayer, and giving of thanks. Furthermore, all three of the verbs in the Greek are in the present imperative, which means that they are be, to be constantly repeated. They're continuous action, continuous command. Be constantly, constantly joyful always. Be constantly Praying, be constantly giving thanks in all circumstances. And furthermore, it says, and I believe that the, at the end it says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, I believe that that applies to all three of these commands. So we are to be all three of them. We are to be joyful always, that's the will of God. We are to be praying continually. That's the will of God. And we're to give thanks in all circumstances. That's the will of God. That's what God, you know, people, a lot of people say, well, you know, I don't, I want to find out God's will for my life. Okay, here it is right here. (laughs) Okay, God's, God's will for your life. All right, the starting place, be joyful always, pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. That, that, that's the starting place. Now, God has specific plans for each one of our lives, but the general plan for all of us is these three commands. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I would like to live a life of rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks constantly, wouldn't you? I mean, I'm not saying I'm there. I've got a long, long way to go. Um, but I would like to set my course that that's the way I would live my life. And I go, I go back to these three, you know, these three verses all the time. And I go back and reread them and memorize them and think about them and meditate on them. Because that's, I, I want my life to be that, like that. And I, you know, and I think that is the, the key to, to uh, evangelism is right here. Now, in Islam, um, you know, I've spent a lot of my, a lot of my years in an in Islamic country. Um, there's, there's very little joy, okay? I, I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about that the people aren't joyful, but they, they don't get that joy from the religion. You know, the people, I mean, they're joyful. They have, they have a great time. They love to be with each other. You, you know, you, you go to a playground in Turkey, you're going to get the same thing. Kids are screaming and yelling and having a great time and, and so on. And you, you go and, you know, there's people sitting outside in the summer uh, eating together. And they're joyful and they're enjoying each other's company and so on. But in Islam itself, there's no joy. Because joy is the fruit of the Spirit. So if joy is the fruit of the Spirit, then, uh, you know, Christ does not dwell in somebody who is Muslim. Next thing is that we can even rejoice in suffering. Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 1 Peter 4, 13. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. All right, now, now it's getting a little bit more difficult, isn't it? <laughs> kind of, sounded kind of easy before, but now we're talking about being joyful in the sufferings of Christ. <clears throat> Romans 5.3, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. So how do we rejoice in suffering? I, you know, I think one simple way, get our eyes on Jesus. Uh, you know, if our eyes are on Jesus, and, it, and it's not saying that it, that, you know, it, it stops the suffering, it's just that we find perspective in the suffering and, we've, and we have our eyes on Jesus and so we can not just endure the suffering but that we can, uh, we can find meaning and life in the midst of suffering. So God wants us to be joyful Christians. How many of you know the name Nicholas uh, Vujicic? <laughs> How many have ever heard that name before? All right. Um, this, is, this is Nicholas right here. Nicholas was born without any uh, arms or any legs. And um, he, and, you know, uh, he, was, he was born that way. They don't know why he was born that way, but he was. And um, he was born in 1982 in Melbourne, Australia. And he uh, has started a ministry called Life Without Limbs. All right, and so he's an evangelist. Okay, imagine that somebody. And I've seen, I have seen, um, you know, videos of him preaching to crowds. And he started this Life Without Limbs, an international nonprofit ministry, and the purpose is to saturate the world with the gospel and the and the unity of the body of, of Christ through the life and testimony of, of in, in his life. 
Since 2005, listen to this, over one million people have made a decision for Christ through his ministry. Wow. And he has no arms and no legs. He's married, has two kids. Um, but I, to me, it's just a... And, and, and the thing that you, that you see with, with Nick is, you know, and you just see it when you see a video of him, is that he's joyful. He's just full of joy and full of thanksgiving, and, and he preaches from a heart of gratitude. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have a hard time if I had no arms and legs to conjure up a lot of gratitude. But he has. And I think he's an example to all of us. Okay, now I want to talk about thanksgiving. We're not going to talk about prayer because, well, who wants to pray anyway? But um, no, we're not going to talk about prayer because we're going to devote a whole week to that um, coming up in a couple of weeks. So I'm going to skip that part of it and talk about thanksgiving. Back to our text, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So I want to talk about the first Thanksgiving day. And this is the Mayflower 2. And um, England was in a time of decline spiritually. Uh, this was the early 1600s. And remember, Wesley came along in the mid-1700s in England. So um, it was before there was really, you know, with the Wesleys was a real revival that took place in, in England. But at this time, um, England was in decline spiritually. Church is dead. James I is king. And so as a result of that, two sects arose. The Puritans, the Puritans stayed in the church uh, they didn't believe from separating from the Anglican Church at that time. The pilgrims, or the separatists, separated in order to remain pure to the faith. They were organized in Gainsborough and Scrooby. But opposition to the two groups arose, so the Scrooby body emigrated to Holland. Settled in Leiden in 1609. After 12 years of exile in Holland and years of hard work, they decided to leave Holland. Why? No one was joining them. Life was, was difficult. They were working 12, 15 hours a day. Um, and they just, you know, they were just wearing themselves out. The children were beginning to apostatize from the church because life was so difficult. And so, uh, so they decided they were going to exile. And they also had a passion for sharing. They wanted to be part of this sharing, taking the gospel to other places. So they decided to immigrate to America. They found somebody willing to send them, and they bought one ship called the Speedwell and contracted with the Mayflower in order to take them to the new country, the new land, America. Some stayed behind. Um, uh, well, I'm sorry, the Speedwell had leaks, um, and so they couldn't, they couldn't go on that. They, they started with it. They had to go back to dry dock, get the uh, ship worked on. They started out again. They had to go back again. And finally they said, forget it. The Speedwell isn't going to make it. It's, it's not seaworthy. So everybody, some went back, some went on the Mayflower, and they crowded into the Mayflower, and they were 66 days at sea. Now, remember, um, there's a season for shipping and the season for being out on, on the seas. And they, had now, they were now at the tail end of that season. That was the problem. 
There were 102 pilgrims in the size of a volleyball court with seasickness, harassment, and so on. On November 9th, they sighted Cape Cod. On December 6th, they landed in Plymouth. Now, how many have ever spent a winter in New England? <laughs> we have. <laughs> we spent six, six winter, winters in, uh, in New England, and it's cold. I mean, it's really cold, and brutal uh, is, is more like it. Now, one interesting thing about this, yesterday, Saturday, November 21st, 2020, is the 400th anniversary of, a, of, a, of the signing of the Mayflower Compact. You aware of that? Yeah, yesterday was the signing, 400th uh, celebration of that. And... And it was the legal instrument that bound the pilgrims together when they arrived in New England. Um, and what had happened was that uh, they had a contract all drawn up, a compact all drawn up and certified and so on, but they had missed going where they were supposed to go and they had gone north and so they had to draw up a new compact and so that's what we call the uh, Mayflower Compact. And I have it up here. Uh, yeah, there's a copy of it. I don't think I'll read the whole thing, but it's, it's um, you know, basically they're, they're contracting together. Uh, they're, they're, you know, for, for this, they were covenanting together. Uh, and that's what the May, Mayflower Compact was all about. So in the new land, after line, landing, they started setting up homes. And as I said, it was no December, okay? They didn't arrive until December 6th. And people started dying. And they, they built a common house where, all, where they all stayed together. And of course, we know with COVID that when you put a whole bunch of people together in one small space, um, you just pass everything to each other. Six died in December, eight in January, 17 in February. By the end of the winter, 47 out of 102 had died. Well, and it was tough. It was a very difficult time. But in the summer of 1621, there was a good harvest, nice weather. Uh, they were swimming at the beach. You, you know, you saw, you can see the, see the ocean out there. And they decided that they were going to declare a public day of Thanksgiving. And that's, that's where we get our Thanksgiving day. Uh, Governor Bradford declared a day of public Thanksgiving. And he wrote in his history of the Plymouth Plantation, he says this, Our fathers were Englishmen which came over this great ocean and were ready to perish in this wilderness, but they cried unto the Lord, and he heard their voice and looked on their adversity. Let them therefore praise the Lord because he is good and his mercies endure forever. Yea, let them which have been redeemed of the Lord shew how he hath delivered them from the hand of the oppressor when they wandered in the desert wilderness out of the way and found no city to dwell in, both hungry and thirsty, their soul was overwhelmed in them. Let them confess before the Lord his loving kindness and his wonderful works before the sons of men. Now this is the remainder of 47 um, you know, people who died, the remainder of the 102, and as Bonnie uh, shared this morning, another 35 came in. Uh, and I don't remember exactly when it was. Was it in the winter? I can't remember the, when they came in. So it was, it was hard. Okay, now, so 
reason I share this whole story with you, partly because it's saying, you know, we're, we're gearing up for Thanksgiving, but also to remind you that Thanksgiving, like joy, is a choice. I mean, they could have, um, you know, just set their course to complain about all the people that died and how awful the winter was and so on. And instead, they turned their hearts to joy and thanksgiving. They learned to be thankful to God, even in very difficult circumstances. So thanksgiving is not so much a matter of what has happened to you, your, your circumstances, nearly as much as it is how you see or perceive what has happened to you. Now, Bonnie shared that this morning as well. Um, now, we've had a rough year as a nation. Uh, you know, it hasn't, 2020 had not been an easy year uh, here in the United States. But, you know, when you compare it with what they went through, it's like, you know, it's like nothing compared to, to what they went through. So if they can praise God and they can thank God for their circumstances, maybe we can find the grace to give God thanks for our circumstances. Someone sums it up this way. No matter what the circumstances, persecution, sickness, and so on, the Christian ought to be able to give thanks to God, not, of course, for the difficult circumstances, but for his salvation through Christ. And when he is able to do this, then he is also strengthened to endure what is difficult. So a lot of it is simply, it's our perspective, it's getting our eyes on Jesus. And when our eyes are on Jesus, we can endure a lot of things. Gratitude will change our perspective. Complaining leads to unhappiness. Giving thanks leads to happiness. We change our well-being through thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a lifestyle choice. Psychologists asked undergraduates to complete a survey uh, that included a happiness scale and measures of thankfulness. So over six weeks, the participants wrote, wrote down once a week five things they were grateful for. Okay, so this is just, you know, for five, six weeks. And what they found is that the, that single practice had a dramatic effect on their happiness score. And the study concluded students who regularly expressed gratitude showed increases in well-being over the course of the study. So in other words, it's not so much um, that, you know, that, well, I'll, let me read a statement here. Uh, Ellen, Ellen Vaughn said this, Gratitude unleashes the freedom to live content in the moment rather than being anxious about the future or regretting the past. Okay? So we can either be, you know, we can regret the things that we've done or we can be anxious about the things coming or we can choose gratitude in the present. And the more that we choose gratitude in the present, the more that it actually affects our well-being and our sense of well-being. Because it's not so much important whether you are well off, but whether you think you're well off. Whether you have the perspective, whether the glass is half full or the glass is half empty. Alexander McLaren said, seek to cultivate a buoyant, joyous sense, now listen to this, of the crowded kindnesses of God in your daily life. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? The joyous sense of the crowded kindnesses of God in your daily life. 
Well, so grumbling is really saying, in effect, that God's provision is inadequate. We don't really want to be around grumpy, unthankful complainers, do we? And a Russian proverb says, and I love this one, I murmured because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. I murmured because I didn't have shoes until I met a man who didn't have feet. So ingratitude and a sense of entitlement, I think, is part of our present culture, isn't it? Well, we just hear it constantly. Ingratitude. Sense of entitlement. I don't have everything I ought to have. Dennis Prager writes this. We tend to think that it is being unhappy that leads people to complain. But it's truer to say that it is complaining that leads people to people becoming unhappy. Become grateful and you will become a much happier person. So it's a matter of seeing the glass half full or half empty. Which way, which way are we going to do it? Do we go through life complaining because we don't have everything we need or we want? Or do we go through life looking at the glass half full and saying, thank you God for, the, you know, for what you've, you've given to me. And that will actually change the way that you look at life. Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So they knew God, but they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. And the result is their thinking becomes futile and their foolish hearts are darkened. So it actually, our thanksgiving actually influences then are futile and darkened thinking. If we are unthankful, we will tend to think futile and darkened thoughts. Philippians 2.14, 15. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. So if we spend time with people whose lives exemplify contentment and gratitude, their spirit of appreciation rubs off on us. So let's go back to our text. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, it doesn't say that we are to give thanks for all circumstances. All right? That would be giving thanks for evil. Because we live in an evil world. We live in a world in which there's a lot of stuff coming at us all the time. Um, evil, you know, is, I mean, we're just encountering it every single day. So we're not giving thanks for those evil things and saying that God created those e- evil things, but we are giving thanks in those things because we believe God's going to use even the evil that comes at us for our good. So we say if circumstances were better in our lives, we could truly be joyful and thankful. But spiritual freedom doesn't come from having good circumstances in your life, but rather from seeing even the negative circumstances from God's perspective. Let me read that again. We say if we could could be truly and thankful, um, we say if circumstances were better in our lives, we could truly be joyful and thanksgiving. So we're waiting around, Lord, when things change, I'll start to give thanks. 
Spiritual freedom doesn't come from having good circumstances, but rather from seeing even the negative circumstances from God's perspective. It's seeing that God is at work. Choosing thankfulness will affect every area of our lives. In a study of 1,035 high school students, those who demonstrated high levels of gratitude and strong appreciation of other people, now listen to this, had higher GPAs. Listen to this, you kids back there. <laughs> they had higher GPAs. You want a higher GPA? Be thankful. Less depression and a more positive outlook than the less grateful teens. By contrast, the teens who equated buying and owning things with success and happiness reported lower GPAs, more depression, and a more negative outlook. So what we're saying is that it affects, all areas of our lives are affected when we give thanks. Matthew Henry, the Puritan preacher and Bible commentator, and he, uh, a thief came along and stole his money. And so they asked him about it. And he says this, let me be thankful first that I was never robbed before. Second, although they took my purse, they didn't take my life. Third, although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. Isn't that incredible? I don't know if you've, you've seen the Matthew Henry commentary on, on the whole Bible. I mean, it's quite a, quite a work. And was very, uh, very influential for many, many centuries. Um, Nancy Damas said this, the person who has chosen to make gratitude, his or her mindset and lifestyle, can view anything, anything, through the eyes of thankfulness. The whole world looks different when we do. And so we will stop asking God, why have you done this to me? And instead, looking at what Christ has done, we'll ask God, why have you done this for me? Um, I've told you before about Christy Wilson, uh, a great, uh, great missionary. And uh, he was the one that was, uh, he, was he, he grew up in, in Tehran, Iran, and, uh, and lived his whole life in the Middle East. And uh, just an incredible man of God. And I read somewhere, and I can't, I, I can't remember where I read it, but I, I know the facts of the case. And I think it was R.C. Sproul that said this about him. And they were invited to go speak at a conference. And uh, this, is, this is not the place, but it's like the place. And they were, um, you know, and so they, um, Sproul came in, uh, checked in and everything, and they sent him up to his room. And he walked up to his room, and they had a beautiful view like that over the Mediterranean. He walked up to his room, and he's overlooking the parking lot. <laughs> Any of you ever had that happen? <laughs> and, uh, and so he's grumbling and, you know, and, oh, you know, why, you know, there's beautiful view and here I am overlooking the parking lot. He's just getting ready to go back down. And Christy Wilson comes up. And Christy walks in and he says, oh, I'm just so thankful. He says, what they've done is that they've given all the beautiful rooms that overlook, you know, overlook the Mediterranean, they've given all those rooms to the people from third countries, third world countries. Because they don't have what we have. They're not used to you know, these beautiful views and being in a beautiful place like this. And so I am just so thankful that they did that. 
And, and Sproul goes, okay, all right. <laughs> I get it. I'm supposed to be thankful. So we can be thankful because even the most negative circumstances in our lives can lead to our spiritual growth. Romans, you've heard it before many times. Romans 8.28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And so what happens for those who, you know, who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, even those negative circumstances, God will turn those around and use them for good. Now, we don't thank God for those circumstances, but we thank God in the midst of them, and then God uses that thankfulness and that relationship with Christ to build us up and make us stronger. The reason we can give thanks in all circumstances at all times is that God will use all our circumstances to build us up, to conform us to the likeness of Christ. So let's set our course to grow the flower of gratitude in our lives. It's a flower that needs to be, it needs to be, you know, it needs to get proper watering, it needs to get the sunshine, and it needs to grow within us so that we can be truly thankful. Ron Allen wrote a book called Praise, A Matter of Life and Breath. And he talks about a missionary. He says, I was approached by an elderly gentleman who wished a word with me. He gave me his card and introduced himself as a veteran medical missionary to India. He had established a medical mission in a region where progressive blindness was peculiar to that area, where thousands of people were born sighted but were doomed to blindness as they matured. So it was endemic to that particular area. He then told, um, in a marvelous ministry of the whole man, the ophthalmologist had developed a procedure to arrest the terrible disease that had ravaged the people. Okay, so he could reverse the, the damage that, they, that was happening. He says this. He says that his people left the clinic knowing that they would see when otherwise they might have become blind, they would not simply say, thank you, for that was not in their dialect. Instead, they would say, I will tell your name. Isn't that incredible? I will tell your name. That's what we do to express our gratitude. We tell the name of Jesus. We say, it's Jesus who's done all this for me. You know? We tell his name. We don't just simply give thanks. We tell the name of the one who has done it. And up on the screen is, uh, um, this is Yujel and Naile, and they are some uh, very good friends of ours in Turkey. And we, you know, the place where we have been church planting for, you know, 20 years now, uh, and helping with the church planting, um, they're, in, they're in that area, and so we see them every time we go over there. And... Naile, when she was in her 20s, she was in college, and she had some problems in her back and went to a surgeon, and the surgeon botched the operation, and she's uh, quadriplegic. Um, she has, you know, she can, you can kind of see, see that, but she has, you know, one hand that she can 
control just a little tiny bit. Um, and so some friends of ours bought her, uh, raised money and bought her a, an electric wheelchair so that she can go around uh, you know, on, in her electric wheelchair. So what she does is she, um, she's right near the, uh, near the ocean, near the um, Aegean Sea. She spends her days going around telling people about Christ. I mean, that's what she does all day. She, you know, she has lots of stuff that she has to do, but her free time, any time that she has, she just goes down, she'll go down to, uh, you know, in her wheelchair, and because she's in a wheelchair, she has, you know, she can talk to people about Jesus, and other people, they would reject him, but they've got to listen to her, because you know, she's in a wheelchair. And so every time we go, we get stories of all those who have come to Christ through her ministry. That's living with a mindset of thanksgiving and joy. Furthermore, she has memorized the whole New Testament and mo very uh, like Psalms and Proverbs and other parts of the Old Testament. I mean, pretty amazing, uh, pretty amazing woman. Well, let's set our hearts then, okay? This Thanksgiving day, let's take this time to really seek God to create in us a thankful heart that God would release that, that, that uh, the spirit within us of joy and thanksgiving. So that rather than just one day and we celebrate, you know, giving thanks that day, that we, will, that we will use it to set our course in our lives to be joyful and, thanks, and thankful the rest of our lives. God bless you.
Heavenly Father, may we be thankful every day. May we look around us and know that no matter what happens, it can be you can use it for good. And may we be thankful that for the joys we have in our life, and Lord, may the joys permeate our life. May we always look at that glass half full, knowing that you are the one who will use it to further your kingdom. In your son's name we pray, amen. God be with us till we meet again.